Welcome to The Skin Reel, your guide to all things skincare, skin health, beauty, and more, curated by dermatologists and true skin experts. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Alice Mina. I'm a double board certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon with over a decade of clinical experience. If you're looking for real, practical, unhyped skincare guidance and expertise, or you just think the skin is really cool, then you're in the right spot. I'm so glad you've tuned in to The Skin Reel. Now let's dive in because this is how dermatologists talk skin. Hi everyone, quick disclaimer here before we start. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. If you're looking for help on your skin journey, please check out the American Academy of Dermatology's website, aad.org, where you can search their database for dermatologists near you. It is so important that you have someone in your corner who's well-trained, licensed, and board-certified who can help you make decisions when it comes to your skin health. Okay, got it? Great. Now for the fun stuff. Hi, skin friend. I am so glad you tuned into this week's episode. You are in for a real treat because I have board certified dermatologist, Dr. Cheryl Burgess on with me today. And we are going to be taking a really deep dive into hair loss. This is a topic that I find myself talking about all the time. People are asking me about hair loss, whether men, women, and really anyone 30 and up seems to have at some point in their life experienced some sort of hair loss. And it can be really, really traumatic. And so people have a lot of questions about it. There's a lot of information out there, a lot of companies, a lot of products. And it's kind of hard to know, well, what's real? What's truth? What's going to help me? What's not? What should I spend my money on? And I love that Dr. Burgess is sharing with us some really great tips and perhaps some information you didn't know about with some common supplements that actually can really really help with hair loss. Dr. Burgess is the founder of the Center for Dermatology and Dermatologic Surgery in Washington, D.C. She's a medical expert, key opinion leader in the field of dermatology, and she is really going to be sharing some great pearls with us today. So I am so glad you tuned in. Let's get started. Dr. Burgess, thanks so much for being here. It's wonderful to have another dermatologist on and someone who has a lot of knowledge and expertise with hair loss. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I heard a lot about your podcast and I'm excited to contribute to it today. Well, you know what? It's a lot of fun doing this because A, I love talking about skin and skin conditions, as I know you do too, and educating people and putting really good information out there. And it's also a great way to connect with my colleagues. It's a lot of fun to meet all these wonderful dermatologists as well. So that's another little perk about the job that I enjoy too. So, well, I definitely want to jump into today's topic, which is hair loss. And I've already had some episodes on hair loss, but I find this is a topic that never gets old. I am always asked about it. What about you? Always. It's kind of the running joke that you don't want a hair loss case at four o'clock on a Friday because you really get involved in it and you'll be there to six o'clock. It can be emotional. It can be 
tears of joy when people find out that their hair loss is not permanent. And so it goes through the spectrum. And so you really need to spend time with a patient with hair loss in order to discern if they have one or two or maybe even three types of hair loss going on at the same time because there's over 20 types of hair loss that people could have. This is not a quick in and out visit, especially for the first visit. And not only do you want to see if there is an underlying medical condition, right? But there is so much psychological impact to the hair loss that has to be addressed as well. So, yes. uh, and this isn't just for men. This is an issue for women and men uh, with hair loss. It can really, really be uh, traumatic and distressing for people. So totally great point. It, it's not a quick visit. And I love that you bring up there 20 kinds of hair loss or more than 20 kinds of hair loss because a lot of times people, I think they think about, well, balding in men and maybe balding in women and that's it. But there actually are so many different kinds of hair loss. Can you just kind of walk us through what's your approach when you have that patient come in, hopefully not at four o'clock on Friday with hair loss? What's sort of your approach? Well, first of all, when people call on the phone that they have hair loss, I always have them come in because hair breakage is different from hair loss. And sometimes it's just the physical products and styling methods that people have and that they do that will cause breakage of the hair. So that's the first thing I need to determine. Are we truly losing hair by the root or this is just breakage? And so that's the first thing. Second thing is if it is truly hair loss, I'm going to do some tests to try to find out if there's a medical reason or this could be a temporary issue. There's a condition that we see commonly, I know you probably do as well, that we see in pregnancy and after pregnancy when women deliver their babies about three months later, they have a shedding of their hair, which is called a telogen effluvium. So I can usually predict the age of the baby. You have a three-month-old, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so those are situations in where we find that it's more of a reactionary hair loss versus a permanent hair loss. And then we have to define, is it a scarring hair loss, which we have to intervene a little bit quicker than, say, the other types. So there's so many different routes and pathways we can go with just the history of getting that information from the patient. And that takes time, like you were saying. This is not a rushed visit. And there are not many dermatologists in the country who even address hair because it is long and detailed. So the first thing you want to find is a dermatologist who deals with hair. It's so multifactorial what could be causing it. And you're so right. You got to see the patient too. You got to see what you're dealing with. See what their hair looks like, what their scalp looks like. Is it breakage? What hairstyle are they wearing? What do they do to their hair each day? Are they pulling it back really tight? We were talking briefly before before we started recording, right, about how I was talking with my staff about it. Some of them were saying they felt like they were getting, they didn't want to pull their hair back for surgery because they felt like it was going to cause their hair to break and they were going to get some traction alopecia, which is from the pulling and the tightness. And also, I feel like even as I'm getting older, I'm noticing some hair thinning of my eyebrows, a little hair thinning around my temples. And yeah, even though people looking at me are like, what are you talking about? I don't see it. When it's happening to you, right, you see it and it can be bothersome. So. <laughs> exactly. 
because some people with very thick, coarse hair will come in and say, the first thing they say is, I know you think I'm crazy, but I am really losing my hair. I had way more hair. And I'm like, no, I believe you. I believe that you're telling the truth. So let's try to get to the bottom of it. So it doesn't matter if you initially started out with coarse hair or fine hair and people have different patterns of hair. We kind of grade it into one through four, sometimes five, depending on the nature of the hair. And we first have to classify you and diagnose you and determine there's some scalp issues. Is it just the shaft of the hair issue? Is it the root issue? Is it just breaking at the ends? And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who think hair grows from the tip, from the ends. And so just going through the anatomical features of hair and educating people is very important. Totally agree with all of that. And you know what's interesting? We talked about telogen effluvium with pregnancy. Yes, I have experienced that with both my children and my friends have, and I see it in that age range and certainly a couple months, three to six months after delivery, right? But I've actually seen it a lot after people have had COVID. Have you noticed that? Oh, yes. It was big time. And yeah. And you know, telogen effluvium, I tell patients, it's more of a reactionary type of hair loss. And it's not something that happened last weekend or the weekend before. It's something that happened three to four, maybe even six months prior. And so it's more of a shock to your system. Something like COVID was a shock to our system. It was something new, just like the passing of a relative or spouse or something. There are different things that can elicit a traumatic event at the hair root level. And it pushes that hair through the cycles much sooner than it would normally be. So when people come in with a telogen effluvium, I have to go through the history and say any illnesses, any surgeries, any anesthesia, any stress to your system, which is very important because I have them backtrack and like, when did you really see all this shedding? Like, Typically, they'll say, you know, hair was all over my clothes, on my shoulders, all on the sink, on the floor, in the shower, when I, after I shampoo my hair. And I'm like, well, when did you kind of notice that? And they may say, okay, October, this month. Then I'm going to backtrack and ask them, at least maybe four to six months ago, was there anything that was going on during that time period? I've seen it with COVID. I've seen it with the COVID vaccines. I've seen it again, like I was saying, with surgery, anesthesia, medications, change in medications, maybe a dose was changed. And then sometimes we can't figure it out. People go home and they come back and let, you know what? I was thinking about it and I realized it was this. And generally, if I can kind of tag when the stressor occurred or with the stimulation of that phase of early quick cycle from antigen to telogen, then I can almost tell them when it's going to stop. And usually we see it stop about a year after the initial insult. So most people who come to you are, are six to nine months into it anyway. And so it's few months later that they have to deal with it. And to convince people, I have them do a hair collection test. I have them take all the hair that they have for the day that they pulled out or brushed out or combed out, shampooed out, put it in a baggie and label it the day of the week and the date. And then we have them do it for 30 days. We line it up 
like a calendar. So physically, you can see that it's getting less and less. Sometimes you have to be able to show that. If it's not, we can somewhat calculate that it's going to last a little bit longer, but it tends to slow down and you can see that happen. So that's very helpful for patients because they get distraught about the hair that they're losing. And for the most part, if they don't comb their hair today, it's twice as much tomorrow and three times as much in the third day. And they don't realize that not combing their hair is going to save the hair from falling out because it's in that telogen phase. So it helps people also comb their hair every day so that we can do the hair collection in the baggies. And telogen effluvium, you can actually see it slow down. Now, there are some treatments that I do for that to kind of speed it up. And what happens, I usually ask people, well, how are you sleeping at night? And yeah, I'm just stressed. I don't sleep at night. Well, melatonin at three milligrams each night, taking it at night, tends to help to slow down that telogen effluvium. So that's what I normally put patients on. And generally within a month, it's really slowed down. So that's one of my advices to people who undergo a stressful telogen effluvium type of that. I love that hack. I didn't know that, but I'm writing that down. I'm going to try that out. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it, it's really helpful. And it probably also helps with sleep. And a lot of people are taking it anyway. So if it can help. So melatonin comes in one, three, five, and 10 milligram pills. Some people can take too much and they don't see anything occurring. I find it works best with the three milligram. Just at night, gets the circadian rhythm back on, on par, and they start to see a difference in the shedding. That's a great little pearl there. So I love that. Thanks for sharing that. And a lot to unpack there about telogen effluvium. I know some people think, well, it's reversible, right? It's going to go away. You're not going to be left with bald patches. So why do you even need to treat it? And that's a fair, valid point, right? You don't have to treat it. But if you can speed it along, help it along, that is helpful for the person going through it because it is distressing. And then you see all those little hairs growing back. And if you can hurry that along, it is helpful. So I love that. And I find that a lot of patients don't associate the stressful event with their hair loss. There just seems to be too much time in between, right? That it's hard to think back. Something that happened three months ago, five months ago, six months ago is causing my hair loss today. That's hard to have people wrap their heads around, but it's true. But that is good to know. Yes, it's temporary. It is going to come back. And now we've got a nice little hack for speeding it along with melatonin. So that's great. And I also like your idea of having the patients collect the hair. I find that a lot of times they're already collecting it anyways, or at least after a shower, they sort of ball it up. I know I would look at it and think, oh my goodness. And so if you can have them collect that and then they have this visual cue of how at the first of the month it's here and then it's diminished. Right. Rather than putting it all in a bag, like they'll put it all in a bag and bring it to you. But yeah. you can't really <laughs> assess roughly a hundred hairs when it's all gathered like that. And so I can typically, depending on the length of the hair, determine if this is 100 hairs or not. And over 100 hairs a day puts you in that category of telogen effluvium. But also I'm assessing and looking, is this breakage or are there roots? And you can also, as a dermatologist, we can look under a microscope and see the telogen bulb on the hair. So you know that we're in the telogen phase versus an antigen phase. So I try to go through all of that. It's really 
funny that most people who come want you to do something to help their hair grow back quicker. And if you don't, they tend to like feel that you weren't listening or you didn't do a good job. But there's certain hair loss situations in where we have to give it time and have to watch the pattern and have to treat it accordingly. There may be labs and biopsies and things we may need to do prior to. So not all the time do we give them something to treat the hair loss with on the first visit. Yeah. And with hair loss and really with so much of what we do in dermatology, it takes time. But I feel like especially with hair loss, there's not a quick fix. It takes time. Now, let's kind of segue you. You're mentioning labs and biopsies, things like that. When do you find that you need to do those kind of procedures? Well, what I find like you could have a medical condition that can lead to telogen effluvium. Therefore, now we're looking at two types of hair loss. And so that's why it's important to really get a history from a patient because that may not be the only thing that's going on. Like I said, there's stressors and different things that cause the telogen effluvium. So I'm going to look more in depth to what possibly could this be. I'm going to draw labs on patients. I'm going to possibly do a scalp biopsy in the hormonal area and the non-hormonal area in which it requires two biopsies on the scalp. It's pretty universal that if you're doing a biopsy on the scalp, they're four millimeter punches. And I find that people will bring in lab reports where they've had a biopsy before and it was a two millimeter or a three millimeter. And therefore, so I'm going to assess their labs and any previous biopsies that they've had to determine if I really need to biopsy. If it was adequate, sometimes I'll get their previous labs, get that extended for a second opinion at my lab. So they kind of forego another biopsy. So there's a lot of things that we can do to speed things along for patients. But if it's been a few years, I'm probably going to re-biopsy it because things can change during that length of time. And for the most part, it could be even a different type of hair loss. So it's really important to totally assess the patient. But like I was saying, the labs are one thing that I'm going to look at. I'm going to do a hair pull test and look how easily I can pull the hair out of the scalp. I'm probably going to do some labs and depending on it's a male or female, depends on the labs that I'm going to draw. But I'm looking at a lot of different things in the labs. You could be anemic. You could be iron deficient. There are so many things that you may not even know when you come into the office that you feel healthy and nothing's wrong, but I may find something on your labs that's abnormal and we can correct. In some of my patients, it's the vitamin D level that's really, really low and they don't even know it. You know, especially in my black population, they naturally have very low vitamin D levels. So I'm going to check all of those issues. And if it's a premenopausal woman, I'm going to check for maybe like polycystic ovarian syndrome, other medical issues that could be causing them to thin like female pattern baldness and also have a telogen effluvium. So that's what I'm going to look at. I've been hearing a lot and reading a lot about vitamin D and how that surprisingly is low in a lot of people. And it's 
typically people with darker skin who are unable to metabolize the vitamin D in their skin. And so a lot of times you don't recognize that until you get that blood work and that I actually just recently broke my fibula. And so I've been seeing the orthopedic surgeon and he was telling me I should be taking 2000 milligrams of vitamin D. And so it just seems like we're learning more and more about vitamin D and that maybe we need to be supplementing a little bit more than we previously thought. And I know I practice very strict sun protection, so I probably am deficient. Yeah, as a dermatologist, we advocate that and people are like, well, I need the sun. We do need the sun. So we're kind of stuck between a a rock and a hard place because it can be an issue (laughs) in certain situations. Yeah. Still, and I think you'd agree with me, right? Just supplement with vitamin D. Don't go to the tanning bed. Don't go out and get a sunburn. And right. a lot of times the people who are vitamin D deficient tend to be people who have more melanin in their skin to begin with. Yes. And so if you are someone more of my complexion, you go out and get sunburn, you're really not helping your vitamin D. You're really just helping yourself develop skin cancer, most likely. What about biotin? Do you ever check for biotin levels? Or I know in the past people used to recommend biotin for hair loss. And now we've moved away from that. I don't check it. I do. (laughs) You do? Okay. I love it. I want to hear. You know what? Because what I find is people are ODing on biotin. You know, I check their levels and they're so high. I'm like, stop it. Stop, stop in the biotin. We find, and I agree with you, that is not a solution for hair loss. I've seen it help nails, but for hair, I find vitamin D supplementation is so much better than biotin. And I have to show patients, look at your biotin level and look that you're still having these issues. So just stop, just stop the biotin. But yeah, I do it for that reason. What do you recommend for vitamin D supplementation? Now I'm curious, do you recommend 2,000, 5,000, or do you base it off of how low they are? Well, if a person is under 30 milligrams per deciliter, I pretty much will recommend the Ergo Calciferol, which is 50,000 units just weekly. And if you look at it taking 5,000 every day, you could still do that. But some people are on a lot of different medications and they're like, can you make it simpler for me? And that's what I do. I just give them the prescription. But you could take 5,000 a day and be adequate. Now, keep in mind, though, it does take a while to get that vitamin D level up. And if you're at 20 and you've taken 50,000 international units weekly, sometimes three months, it inched it up maybe three notches or four notches. It doesn't do it very fast. And so I tell people, I may be doing this for six months, but let's see how you do. And one thing that I tell patients is that because a hair cycle works on a three-month cycle, I this gives something to hair cycles to work or not work. Okay, I don't keep people on things a long time. So if you think you see something going on in three months, we'll continue it for six months. At six months, if I don't see anything going on, I know it's time for me to change my methods or direction in where we're going with the hair. So that is one thing. It's not you have to do something for years and years and years to correct your hair. You kind of know if it's going to happen within six months. 
Yeah, but you do have to give it those six months, right? And I want to correct myself. I was saying milligrams, but you're right. It's international units for the dose for the vitamin D. You had it right. (laughs) So, well, beyond vitamin D, which again, I'm kind of becoming a big fan of (laughs) for my bones and for my hair. Do you recommend supplements and routinely for hair loss? We're seeing a lot of them. Yes, I do. Years ago, because I was really doing a lot of hair, including hair transplants and things like that. And I got to the point where I saw that a lot of the hair loss that came to me were gender specific, mainly females, and that the females didn't need hair transplants. They were fine. They just wanted to stop shedding and be able to style their hair. And so I let all the hair transplants and things go to Bosley because they do a better job at volume than I could do in my office. But I found that most of the conditions were medical and they were not addressing that in women. And so that's how I kind of got into, there's a product called Viviscal, which came out in the late 1990s. And it has really evolved since then because there's now the original formulation and then there was an extra strength formulation. And now we have available in our offices the professional strength. And shortly after that, maybe about 10 years ago, then Nutrafol came out and they have a whole line of products. And both of these hair supplements are very rich in vitamin D. So sometimes you don't have to supplement if you're taking those products. Some of them have shellfish or mollusk origin, shark origin, but it's definitely marine. And the marine substances are very high in vitamin D. I remember my grandmother telling me, you know, we have to have fish every week because fish is brain food. (laughs) And that was true. Vitamin D was very, very necessary for our bones and our brain and everything else. And so it's still to this day is very helpful with a lot of different conditions. So you're getting a high source of vitamin D in those nutraceuticals. Yeah, I know a lot of people who have used both of those products and have found them really helpful. But it's interesting. I wonder maybe if you also just supplemented vitamin D, perhaps you could see a lot of those changes too. So it's interesting. You can. So physicians who don't carry products in their office, yeah. I mean, I go anywhere from the nutraceuticals to the prescription, ergo calciferol, 50,000 a week to just go over the counter. It just depends on what people want to spend. Some of the nutraceuticals can be expensive, but it doesn't have to be in order to increase your vitamin D level. Now, let's talk about some of the other medicines that we can use for hair loss. So I think there were, it was a New York Times article a couple of years ago about low dose minoxidil, and I'm sure in your office too. We just had tons of people coming in asking about it. Tons. (laughs) It's an understatement, right? Well, yeah, it's an understatement. But you know what? It's really funny because I remember in the late 1980s, you probably weren't born then. (laughs) I was. (laughs) I was finishing my residency and we were taking minoxidil pills, grinding them up, putting him in propylene glycol and rubbing it on our heads. (laughs) And then that led to the research and the FDA clearance for Rogaine, 
which was the 2% that initially came out. And then later on, the 5% came out. Now we've kind of reversed course and gotten back to that pill. So we've gotten back to minoxidil as a pill and it went gangbusters when it was published in New York Times and Washington Post about how it can grow hair. Our office was inundated with calls. And so I'm sure like every other dermatologist and I'm like, wow, so we're kind of reversing and going back to what we found was really helpful. And so I do see a great improvement with that, better than topical. So I have a lot of people on it. Now I start women at a lower dose than I start men and then gradually increase them. One of the side effects could be lowering of the blood pressure because it is a blood pressure medication. But those who are already on antihypertensives, I have them clear it through their internist or the person who's prescribing the antihypertensive to them and see if there's a way we can juggle it where they can be on both. But it's such a low dose at 2.5 milligrams. And I think for a more medical dose at greater than 10 or 10 milligrams. And so we're at a fraction of that dose. One of the side effects that I always tell patients, and I've never seen it happen, knock on wood, is that they can have a little bit of lowering of their blood pressure within the first two weeks of taking the preparation and within the first two hours of, of swallowing the pill. And what we find is that that tends to go away. It not a reason for them to stop the medication. They may have, like I was saying, a little orthostatic hypotension for a second, like you kneel down to tie your shoelaces up, but it's not anything in where people are passing out or anything like that. So we find that it's very safe. In some people, we see a little bit of hair growth like yeah. around here and on the face. But again, people are like, well, I just shave it off. And you can shave it off. And shaving the hair off doesn't bring more hair follicles like most people think. <laughs> yes, let, let's squash that. Let's squash that wives tail. Yeah, a lot of times when Rogaine first came out, people would see that and they thought it was maybe absorption along the hairline. But once you kind of shaved it off with some of those little fine dermal plane blades, it doesn't come back sometimes. So, you know, you never know, but it's so fine and baby-like that you could remove it easily. I just saw a lady today who had very, very thin hair. She had gone through menopause and really lost a lot of hair and had thin hair. And we put her on minoxidil and I just saw her back. It's been about a year now and she is just loving it. I asked her about <laughs> if she had excess hair elsewhere on her face or her body that was bothersome. And she said, well, she could maybe notice a little bit. She said, it doesn't bother me at all. She, <laughs> she is just so excited to have a thick head of hair that side effect. It really is minimal. And most of the women are like, look, I'll take a little bit of that baby fuzz to get a thicker ponytail and thicker hair. Well, and as you get older, you get that peach fuzz on your face anyway. <laughs> so it, it's it's not that different than that. Um, And we shave that peach fuzz. I know. Why does extra hair grow on places you don't want it as you get older, right? And you'd lose it in the place. Right. You know, I don't know. I don't know why the ears 
grow, men get it in the ears and the nose and, and women get mustache and beard and it's <laughs> and little whiskers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's okay. You just pluck them and move on. That's right. Well, I am a big fan of the minoxidil and, and the topical preparation for people who don't want to do the oral version. I find it works great for eyebrows. People notice their eyebrows are getting sparse. You could put a little bit on or your temples, you could rub a little bit on uh, wherever you feel like your hair is thinning. But yeah, I think if it's more widespread and you just have overall thin hair, then the oral minoxidil is a great option for a lot of people. Right. It, it really is. And safe. Yes, very safe. Yes, we're talking very, very low doses for sure. Now, what about any in-office procedures? Previously, you did hair transplants, right? Yeah, I do a lot of platelet-rich plasma injections or PRP. And a lot of people have heard about it. The unfortunate thing, sometimes it gets a bad rep because there are people out there doing it and don't really understand how the pathophysiology of what we're really doing and sometimes are just injecting. I, I will get patients who have had like five courses and they're like, I haven't seen anything. I'm like, okay, something's wrong here because you should see something. I, in my patients, I see growth within a month if you're doing it correctly. So one, as a dermatologist, we're used to injecting. We know how far down the hair follicle is, which is like four millimeters. And we're not going to float the PRP in fat where there are no follicles. And I think that's what's happening in a lot of these places that are opening up just trying to do PRP. There's a science to what we're doing. There's stem cells and growth factors that we're trying to stimulate the hair follicle. And we need it near the hair follicle and not away from the hair follicle. And if it's done correctly, I find when I bring patients back in four to six weeks, I see growth. I see density starting. And so that's how I do it. What I do, I look at them like in three months, basically. Because what is the purpose of doing it every month? None of that science has been worked out. And why are we injecting every month when a hair cycle is pretty much three months? We see that people are signing up for four to six treatments every month and nothing's happening. So there's something wrong. And I don't think that this will ever be FDA controlled or cleared in a way because we're looking at drawing the person's blood, their platelet level may be different today than it is next week. Different mine is going to be different from yours. What's the difference or what's the criteria that we need in order to know what's successful and what's not? We'll never know that because we all are different and I wouldn't use my blood serum on you and you wouldn't use yours on me. So we'll never know that data and the FDA cannot control that aspect. So it's really kind of willy-nilly out there, people doing it, and there's no safe science that they're doing, no safe procedures that they're doing. Some people are using big needles and some people are using small needles and there's no system to what is being done and it's kind of giving it a bad name. But I inject the scalp, I inject eyebrows, I inject just only temples if the temples are thinning out on people. And I post my before and afters on Instagram and I use social media for my before and afters and patients will give me permission to show their before and after photo because they're really proud that it worked. And a lot of them are one time. And if you see 
someone who was doing it, you ask for their before and afters and you ask, well, what was the time frame in which this person took the before photo and the after photo? It's very important because if you're going somewhere for six months and seven months, like I said, after six months, I know something's not working. Yeah. Just from the pathophysiology of how hair works. It's it's such a great point that you got to know who's injecting it, what their credentials are. It may sound like, oh, so simple. You just stick a needle into the scalp, but there's more precision to it than what may seem like on the surface. And yeah, if you're not getting the results because it should work, it's shown scientifically to work, something else is going on. And again, you have to question, well, how's it being done? Who's treating me? And maybe there's something underlying going on causing the hair loss, which again is why having an expert like a dermatologist evaluating you is going to really be impactful. Do you ever do microneedling on the scalp to help stimulate either doing the PRP or alone? Well, I actually use 30-gauge needles to inject at the level of the follicle. I'm not a big fan of the microneedling, just kind of roughing up the scalp to put topical PRP to rub it on. I feel the follicle is much lower than that, and it's much deeper. And we're talking about like 1.8 millimeters down, you're really to the epidermis, basically, and and upper dermis. So we know measurements of how far the width of an epidermis and the width of a dermis and where we really need to be. And so looking and gauging the needle to where we need to be, you're not like hitting bone. Yeah. (laughs) So some of my patients would come in and say, yeah, I could hear them hit the bone on my scalp. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Oh boy, (laughs) that that was deep. My goodness. Wow. Well, gosh, I could talk with you for hours, I feel like, about hair loss. (laughs) This has been awesome, but I want to be respectful of your time. But can you just leave us with three tips for, let's say, a woman who's noticing hair loss? What are just some three tips she should do or be thinking about? Well, one, most common, I always say there are more horses out there than zebras, okay? And it's going to be probably something common. And just don't stress yourself over it before you see a qualified dermatologist who specializes in hair. Even though we all go through our residency and we learn skin, hair, and nails, there are a lot of dermatologists who don't want to see hair. Just like there are a lot of dermatologists who don't want to see nails. They only want to see skin. And that's their prerogative. So be aware that there's certain people who just don't want to see hair loss cases. And to go to someone who's going to spend the time with you and try to figure out what's going on and not just have you leave out the office with Rogate. That's very typical. I see that all the time. So be more cautious to who you go to see for your evaluation. So that that's one tip. Most of the hair loss are going to be very more horses than zebras. They're going to be the more common ones like telogen effluvium. Yes, you could have some female or male pattern baldness, but like we just discussed, there's so many good things out there for this and you nip it in the bud right away. You might have to stay on it for a while, but for the most part, you know, we can quell that exaggeration of thinning that we can see in men and women. And thirdly, I'll be patient with the hair growth situation because hair can grow on the average a centimeter a month. So roughly 10 to 12 centimeters a year. 
And if it's breaking faster, the things that you're doing, and I always discuss that with my women, particularly if you're dyeing your hair and bleaching your hair and doing all this, and it's breaking as fast as it's growing, yes, it's going to seem like it's taking a long time. So hair has cycles and it grows a certain length and you have 100,000 hairs on your head and you're not even in a telogen effluvium situation. You're not going to lose all your hair because you have to remember there's an antigen hair or growth hair pushing that hair out. So it's really not a hair loss situation. There's a hair that's pushing it out, trying to grow in. It's just the process is moving pretty quickly. And if we think about that, and then I was saying that there are medical conditions like folliculitis of the scalp or lupus of the scalp and just other things that we would dive more deeply into. Again, that's going to take some time as well. But I realize being a woman that that's the most traumatic event that can happen. I've had a telogen effluvium before when I was on a medication and I know better. And I'm like freaking out like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is like too much now. And I calmed myself down <laughs> and said, it's got to be okay. And it was okay. So in most instances, it's going to be okay. So it's just figuring it out. And, you know, occasionally we do have the zebras who come through. And then that's when I put my thinking cap on and I remember my medicine and we go for it. Because we have to also remember our internal medicine. And that is going to help us figure out if there's some medical issue and why the person is shedding their hair or losing their hair. All great tips. And this has really been super educational for me. And I know the audience, Dr. Burgess, if people want to come see you in your practice or follow you on social media, where can they do that? So our social media handle where they can look at some before and after hair loss is C as in Charles, T as in Tom, R as in Robert, the number four dermatology. And I'll leave that in the show notes. Okay. And our website is CTR, the number four dermatology.com. That's our website. And I am in Washington, D.C. and probably close to a lot of places on the East Coast. I'll put it that way. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you being here and sharing all your expertise about hair loss. And I didn't realize we have you to thank for some of those early trials for Rogaine. So, <laughs> so thanks a lot for that. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see everyone next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Skin Reel. I hope it's been informative, educational, and perhaps a little entertaining. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe and share with a friend. Don't want to stop your learning just yet? Head on over to theskinreel.com for show notes, blog posts, and so much more. Until next time, skin friends.